Now that's how you break a record. First eight points of the game for yeah, Iowa. She needed eight. <laughs> you should attack <laughs> with this. Uh, Danny, I'm a little disappointed. Well, I'm Me both too. Dis- I'm both disappointed and uh, impressed a little bit. First, I'm disappointed you didn't play a highlight of a punt getting downed inside the five yards. I looked for it. Everything that kept coming up was the the muffed punt. Really? No, yeah. no audio call of the punt down to the two. I haven't been able to find one, and they haven't uploaded the full game to YouTube yet. Wow. So, uh, but I am a little impressed. You found Iowa women's basketball radio call. Of course. Yeah, because that's the hometown Iowa call, right? Uh, yes, I believe so. Yeah, okay. Is that, that I imagine that's not normally available. Uh, no. <laughs> no, it's only available for historic moments. All right, Caitlin Clark, 49 like, points. Like when people randomly shoot just regular jumpers from almost half court. That's when you do it. Danny, you're disappointed. Oh, it's great. It's uh, great. Of course. We'll get more into Caitlin Clark later in the show. Here we go. The First Bite. Should the Raiders trade for Geno Smith? I hadn't thought of this one. I hadn't thought of this one until yesterday when they uh, picked up his picked up his money. Okay, maybe Geno Smith's not even going to be available. But first off, they they're going to keep him. Uh, that's going to guarantee his salary for the twenty twenty four season. If they had cut him, Seattle would have saved twelve point seven million dollars. They already owe him $8.7 million in a signing bonus, plus he has a roster bonus of nine point six. His cap hit's going to be $31.2 million next year, but the Seahawks are keeping him on the roster. Now, for now, I have just assumed they were going to keep him on the roster right. and that he was going to be a Seahawk, but what, what I guess piqued my interest is the way Adam Schefter phrased this, because Schefter tweeted, the Seahawks believed... That in today's market, with salary soaring for starting quarterbacks, the right decision was to pay the money per sources. Now, Geno Smith will represent a value to them or any other team that decides to reach out to see if it can acquire Smith via trade. That sounds like someone that they're willing to at least listen to offers, right? Because like we talked about yesterday with Ian Rappaport, who is the source that Adam Schefter talked right. to? Somebody with the Seahawks. Right, someone with Seattle. Right, probably their general manager. So the Seahawks think they might trade Geno Smith, I guess, is what I read from that. Should the Raiders consider that? I think the Raiders might should be able to call. I mean, given what we've seen in the free agent market, we've talked about that endlessly, what's out there in the free agent market, what's going to be available at 13. Uh, you'd have to take a shot on someone at 13. And be right about it. So he's, I think he's been good enough to where you consider it. Um, I guess it would depend on what the give back is. What, what do they want for Geno Smith? I have to imagine they're, they're trying to get a good pick. Yes. I'm not trading a first yeah. or a second round pick for Geno Smith. I would rather just draft a quarterback in the first or second round. Have a rookie quarterback. Yeah, because then you're paying that guy Nothing. $6 million right. or something. And he might be he most likely won't be a good quarterback but you might get average play out of him which would be decent value um if the Seahawks were like hey we'll we'll do it for a third or a fourth okay I'm interested in that at this point but here's the other question for you given the Raiders specific situation <laughs> is he better than Jimmy Garoppolo 
That's a really good question. I don't know if he's better than Jimmy, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, I we've talked about if you're going to pay Jimmy Garoppolo the 11 million, why don't you just bring him back? Right. That's the part that to me a Jimmy or a Geno Smith trade doesn't make any sense. If I were straight up taking quarterbacks like in order, Geno Smith's going to be ahead of Jimmy Garoppolo for me. I'd rather have Geno Smith on my team. But if I'm a team that's already committed to paying 11 million dollars, no matter what, he's getting 11 right. million. And then to keep him, I just have to pay him another $11 million. And to get Geno Smith, I'm going to have to give up a second-round pick or something like that and then pay him even more than $11 million for next season. I'm not making that trade. I'm just holding on to Jimmy Garoppolo and taking the slight downgrade from Geno Smith to Jimmy Garoppolo, letting Garoppolo be my quarterback for cheaper, and I keep all my draft picks. So that's the part of it that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And honestly, as we go through this offseason, anything outside of the draft that's available to the Raiders quarterback-wise, I don't think any of it makes more sense than Jimmy Garoppolo. Oh, in terms of the free agents? Yeah. No. Like, yeah, you might rather have... Given the money you have to pay him. You might rather have Gardner Minshew. I would love for Jameis Winston to be on this team just because that guy's hilarious, but... Even if you'd rather have them, they're not significantly better than Jimmy Garoppolo. And you're already paying that guy. And I think that's going to be... I'm really curious to see that. Because do you think Antonio Pierce has fully moved on from Jimmy Garoppolo? Like, no matter what Garoppolo's done I in think Antonio he has. Pierce's mind? And that's the part I that, think he has. that is interesting. Like, are they going to cut this guy and then potentially sign Gardner Minshew? Right. Like, that would be stupid to me if they did that unless Gardner Minshew is going to play for like five million dollars then go for it but I doubt that's going to happen so that that will be a bad decision if they move on from Jimmy G to just go with one of these other free agent quarterbacks yeah because I don't know that any of them are actually better than Garoppolo or at least or significantly better than Garoppolo and I think that's the problem that comes in here and then back to Geno Smith his cap at next year is over 30 million dollars like he's Yes, he's cheaper than the high-end quarterbacks, but the idea that Geno Smith is cheap and that Geno Smith is this great value, I think he's fine. I think it's ex- that's exactly the value you would expect out of the 14th best quarterback in the league or wherever Geno Smith is. And, by the way, Geno Smith the last two years is at a cap hit of $10 million or less, and the Seahawks have gone 9-8 and eight both right. seasons and made the playoffs once. Like. If you have Geno Smith on your roster at a $30 million cap hit, what are you winning? Well, you're going 8-9. and nine. <laughs> Well, you think they're going 8-9 and nine no matter who. Exactly. Who, who could they have at quarterback and you'd say, oh, wow, they're not going to be 8-9? and nine. Nobody. Aiden O'Connell's week one starter? They go at 8-9? and nine? I just think they're in an 8-9 team, <laughs> like I did last year, and they went 8-9. and nine. <laughs> What if instead of Devontae Adams demanding a trade to the Jets. Aaron Rodgers demands a trade to the Raiders. With the and they Eagles. make the and they make the playoffs. And, and they well, no, they bring Rodgers in. Would you say they're right. better than eight and nine? Nine at and that eight. Point? <laughs> they get one more win. They get what? They get one more win with that guy. <laughs> He's probably gonna get hurt. So no matter who they bring in, they're eight and nine or nine and eight. <laughs> I like it. That's a good yeah. idea. I think Aiden O'Connell, they'd be less. Seven or six. Yeah, I think with I think if if you told me O'Connell starts all. 17 games I think it's it's a six seven win season something like that if you told me that Rodgers demanded a trade to Vegas I'd probably be like yeah they should probably win 11 games boy that's a lot for that team it is a lot but 
I guess it depends on how good Rodgers is. Right, coming off the injury. He, yeah, he's forty and he's coming 40. off on a yeah. Maybe that's a little that's a high. Significant injury. Maybe that's a little high. You're right. It is a nine and eighteen. It's nine and eighteen. Rodgers. <laughs> and then here's my favorite question to ask you. I asked it all last off season. I'll probably ask it a bunch this off season. What's the Raiders' goal this year? Well, their goal is to win and make the playoffs. That's it. Not to win the Super Bowl. They just want to win and make the playoffs. I think um, we've heard quotes that. Uh, you know, they're because um, they said, I think a lot of people said in the Super Bowl that the Niners and the NFC are standing in the way of what they want to do, which is win the division. You you, you heard that a lot. And yeah. it's almost like they feel they need to take the first step before they take the second one. They have to overcome Kansas City before anything. And to overcome Kansas City, you have to win the division. So I, I think their goal is to make the playoffs and hope they can make a run. But I don't know. I mean, to sit here and say to win the Super Bowl, yes, ultimately that's the ultimate goal of everybody. But I think right now they just want to make the playoffs. If their goal is to simply make the playoffs, then a Jimmy Garoppolo, a Geno Smith, a Gardner Minshew type quarterback is probably what they should do. Like that should like they should, if their goal is to say, hey, we just want to make the playoffs. We just want to win as many games as this roster possibly can, and then see what you do, and try to get you know ten wins and make the playoffs, and get in. or maybe nine and eight's good enough, and make the playoffs, then. They should not draft a quarterback unless they can trade up to the top three. They should not take one of these guys at 13 or a guy in round two. They should just go with Garoppolo or Geno Smith or whatever and say, all right, we know we've got the 15th best quarterback in the league or whatever, and we're going to get decent production. We're hoping our defense stays top 10 the or way whatever. It is, the way it was at the end of the season. And that's how we make the playoffs. If your goal is to win a Super Bowl – Geno Smith, Jimmy Garoppolo, Gardner Minshew are the absolute worst quarterbacks to have on your team. No, I agree with that. You're, you're never, you're never going to win right. the Super Bowl. You're just going to remain. You're going to stay at eight and average nine. or somewhat average. Yeah. You're never going to have a high. You pick. might get really lucky and get to the playoffs as a wild card. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Like, if the Raiders had, like, again, the stat that is great to throw out there is that when Antonio Pierce took over to the end of the season, their defensive EPA was second best in the league, which is unbelievable. If you have that good of a defense and you have Geno Smith at quarterback or Gardner Menchu or a Jimmy Garoppolo that doesn't look broken. You could make a run to a wild card. You absolutely are a playoff team. Like you're you're ap- like you're absolutely in there if your quarterback's that or if your quarterback's average and your defense is that good. Now, I don't think the defense will be that good next year. I think we're I think the real question is are they the eighth best defense or do they fall back to, to like fifteen? Right. But if you have a top five defense and Garoppolo at quarterback, you're you're in the playoffs. Like that's a that's the Steelers, except you actually have a little bit better of a quarterback than what the Steelers right. had last year. So if that's their goal is to just simply let's make the playoffs this year, then go with the Garoppolo, Geno Smith, Gardner Minshew guy. If they want to win a Super Bowl at some point, if like we talked about yesterday, want to catch the Chiefs, you, you can't. You're wasting years with Garoppolo, Geno Smith, or Gardner Minshew because you're not going to catch. So you the take Chiefs. Michael Penix. Do, I'd rather do that, even if the odds of Penix being good are like 10%. I'd rather do that because we know you're not catching the Chiefs with Garoppolo, Geno Smith, Gardner Benchu. We don't know if Michael Penix could be there. And you could draft Penix. He could be bad, and you say, all right, we got to do something else. Right. But we know that this roster with Garoppolo is not catching the Chiefs. You could put together that 10-win season and be the Steelers from this year, and people would be excited about that, but – you're still not catching the Chiefs as long as Garoppolo's on the team. So, if their goal is to make the playoffs, I wonder 
if they kept Jimmy G around because, again, it's what twenty two million, yeah, which is not much at right. all. Right, it's not. It's not much at all. If Antonio Pierce wants to go with Aiden O'Connell because he went five and four, and they think he can get better and be better and God, start be over stupid. Jimmy Garoppolo, that'd be so stupid. Well, I'm just, I'm just wondering. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think you're wrong, but God, that would be a dumb decision. They got shut out in the game. And they played an entire game with that guy at quarterback and didn't score a single point while the defense held Minnesota to three. Right. I you just I mean, that would be dumb. If they if Garoppolo's on this roster and O'Connell starts week one, they're not serious. I wouldn't put it past them. Oh, that'd be bad. God, they're gonna make some bad decisions, aren't you they? You think they're gonna go away from the guy who started the last nine games to go back to Jimmy Garoppolo? It wasn't very good. No. Wasn't. I, yeah, I would. I would in a heartbeat. I might, uh, I might try to find Tyson Bajan, call him up and say, hey, <laughs> you want to start over Aiden O'Connell? That guy, Antonio Pierce doesn't even know who Tyson Bajan is. It's like, who was the quarterback <laughs> that beat us? played pretty well against him. I don't know, but Luke Getze kicked our ass. Coming up next, we're going to do some basketball as the running Rebels take on Nevada on Saturday. Stops. A little floater too long. Whaley grabs the rebound, lays it in, and a foul. Rob Whaley as tough as nails. Now, back to the Press Box on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, I got to give Rob Whaley some credit that I don't think I've ever said about a player before. Rob Whaley celebrates everything. I think Rob Whaley unofficially leads the country in yelling and one, even when he doesn't get fouled. He did one the other night where he didn't get touched and still yelled and, and one after he made a layup. He's great. Rob Whaley is so good at celebrating, though, because he yells and screams after every basket he makes, but I don't think he has ever done it in the direction of an opponent. So he doesn't taunt people. It's never taunting. He is always yelling sort of like off into space or maybe at the crowd sometimes, but it's always like just for himself. Mm -hmm. He's always just celebrating with himself, and I, don't, I can't remember a time, even though he does it after every basket, where he yells like in the face of an opponent, even like on accident or something, he's really good at celebrating without taunting. Well, that's a good thing because I, if he starts taunting, he's going to get well, teed up. I would like for him to taunt. That would be more entertaining in my eyes. But I wonder if any opponent ever takes it a little bit like personally. It, I mean, you get dunked on and you foul him and he goes and one, probably. Well, here's the thing. He doesn't even do it every – he's not like he does it after every dunk. He does it after every made shot. He'll, like, have a post up, make just, like, a little right-handed layup and then scream, just scream, not always and one, into the crowd or something. I wonder if there's going to be an opponent who's like, this guy needs to shut the hell up. And then we get a fight out of it. Now, again, credit to Rob Whaley. He never does it in anybody's face. So it's not like one person is like, what the hell is wrong with this guy? But he celebrates after every basket. It's phenomenal. But in sports, we usually see guys that no. celebrate get you know cross-checked in the face because they took a slap shot on a breakaway. Uh, <laughs> but I just wonder if, if that would happen to Rob Whaley. I hope it doesn't. Well, okay, I hope he taunts somebody, and then that person tries to shove him back because that would be entertaining. I mean, the odds are that someone has taken it personally right. and just not reacted. Probably. Because if he's screaming after every basket, which you say he does. Oh, it's great. Then someone has taken it personally. The funniest part is when he's mid-scream and realizes, oh, i got to get back on defense. And right. you can see it where he's celebrating, and then there's like just a quick twitch, and he's like, oh, crap, i got to get back. Right. 
because I'm gonna we're gonna give up a layup the other way if I don't get <laughs> four and five. Defense. I he's great. He's phenomenal. I I want more guys that celebrate the way he does. Um, I'm just curious if it, if anything ever escalates from that because it hasn't yet. It's he yells and screams after everything, and and there has been no escalation by an opponent. Which here's the other part of that for their game on Saturday. They play Nevada 8:30 Saturday FS1. You can hear it right here on ESPN Las Vegas. How do you think this rivalry translates at the basketball level, specifically to a UNLV team where four of their five starters have never played in this game? Well, given Alford has a fake rim up in the basketball offices at Reno, much like they had a fake cannon, I think he takes it seriously. Wait, what's the fake rim? I think it's, you know, if you played for a rim, which they don't, Alfred would have a fake one up there, like they had a fake cannon up there. Uh, that would be funny. Um, but I think that you're, if you're Kevin Kruger, you're having to try to explain to guys why this is deemed important. Because if you're, whether it's the Boone twins or whoever, are coming in and they've never been part of this, yeah. I guess they could say, okay, we understand why it's a rivalry because it's Reno and it's in the same state. We understand. Right. But to get highly emotionally involved. Yeah. I don't know. You can. I don't know. Over three days, you can get a guy to understand, you know, what that rivalry right. truly means. And the, you have the Boone twins who played at Oklahoma State, and then Keelan played one year at Pacific. Rob Whaley was at a junior college in Idaho yeah. last year. I assume DJ Thomas is well aware of it, even though he's never played right. in it. He's, he's from, from here, so I assume you got that. Luis Rodriguez has played in it. Uh, Justin Webster. They've both been here multiple years. That's uh, the main guys in the rotation. So. I, the other part of it is I don't know if it matters. In basketball like, or like more I, so in basketball? Just in ba- I, I don't know if it matters so much that the Boone twins take this game more seriously. No, I don't think it means they're going to play any harder than they would. Right. I mean, they're going to play hard no matter what. Rob Whaley's so, screaming whether he dunks yeah, on he's gonna Bethesda do or whether he dunks on Nevada. Uh, yeah, exactly. They're going to play or hard. Bethesda. <laughs> <laughs> they're gonna pl- they're gonna play hard, yeah. But that's I guess the interesting part of like the transfer portal and where college basketball and college football, honestly, too, is you have these rivalry games. But how many of the players care? How many players know like what it means to the actual fan bases when these maybe two play? not a lot until you're explained yeah. by the coach, right? And I would I would guess for most of these guys their response in some sort of rivalry sense is going to be more towards the crowd at the game than it is towards anything that Kevin Kruger tells them ahead of time. And it's probably better when you play on the road to sort of get the understanding because, wait a minute, why are they yelling at us? Right. Like that type of stuff. So they might respond more to a game at San Diego State or something like that because their crowd might be better than the crowd in Reno or whatever it is. So... Uh, but I don't know that it matters, but that is an interesting part here. Now, you think they beat Nevada? <sighs> Ken Palm's got it close. Uh, One-point win for Nevada, 46% chance to win for UNLV. By the way, Bart Torvik, which is very similar to Ken Palm, has it flipped where UNLV has a 51% chance yeah. to win. So this is basically as close as it gets for projections. I'm going to go yeah. on what I've said before. I think they split and they both win at home. So UNLV would win this yes. one in the Nevada. They don't play again until the final, final game, game of the regular, of the regular season. season. Right. Um, so it's probably the the most likely outcome between these two is that they split and the home teams win there. Here's what I'm curious to see for UNLV defensively. Nevada does not have a lot of shooting. 
Gerard Lucas shoots 39% from three. He's taken over five a game. That's good. That's a pretty high volume. Hunter McIntosh is shooting 37%, takes two and a half threes per game. And then Trey Coleman shooting 33%, that's below the national average, and takes 3.2 per game. Nobody else on their team is taking a high volume or making a high percentage. Nevada ranks 315th in three-point rate. That's the percentage of your shots that are three. So they do not take a lot of threes. A lot of threes. And they don't really have a lot of guys that you would look at and say they should be taking a lot of threes. However, Nevada's good at like everything else on offense. They're top 10 in the country at getting to the free throw line. They're top 30 in not turning the ball over. They're top 100 in assist rate. They're top 100 in two-point field goal percentage. Their offensive efficiency is 59th in the country. So what I'm curious from Unovi's defense, they are extremely aggressive and help side. This is a team that defensively will help a lot. Can they win because of that? Can they effectively pack the paint with help side defenders, try to prevent layups, try to prevent good shots, also play without fouling? Hopefully you have more bodies there that they can all play straight up and maybe force Nevada into taking some three-pointers because, hey, we're packing They're wide open and you're going to have to right. make a choice. I wonder if UNLV's defense could – I feel like this could be a good matchup in that sense. Now – you still got to have good individual defensive possessions and stuff like that. And we've seen plenty of times this year where UNLV has bad individual plays on defense and they get beat off the dribble or, God forbid, Nevada runs a back cut. Fresno State scored on two back cuts, by the way, the other night. So they still have to have good individual defensive performances. But I think the matchup is not terrible for UNLV's defense, despite how good Nevada is on, on the offense. Pretty much event. everything other than three-pointers. Yeah. So I, I think that matchup could be good. The other part... Nevada's defense is sort of just solid all around. They're ranked 42nd in defensive efficiency. They don't rank top 50 in any major categories, but they also don't rank outside the top 150 in any major category. So they don't really have like a, oh, they're really good defensive rebounding or they force a ton of turnovers. They're just kind of good at everything. The only real significant outlier is they allow their opponents to shoot a lot of threes. Like they give up a lot of threes. However, their opponents are just shooting 31.5% from three this season. So opponents have taken a lot of threes, but not made a lot of threes. Well, the only thing that means to me is the streak is alive. (laughs) Because they're going to make at least one. We'll see. They've only taken 16 in the last two games. They're going to make one. I assume they will, too. But I'll say... I'll go. I'll just go the opposite of you, just for the sake of being different. The it's, it's, team will win it's a toss-up, fifty-fifty. So you took UNLV. I'll say Nevada wins. I think we're going to have a close game. That whoever plays better in the last two or three minutes wins right. this game. And uh, if they play like they did against Fresno State, nobody will play well in the last two or three minutes, and they'll lose. But I think uh, I'll take the opposite of you, just because it's a toss-up, and I don't honestly know what the actual outcome will be. Coming up next, Ben Brown joins the show. He does data stuff. Some even call him a scientist. Let's catch up with Pinnacle's Ben Brown to see what he's betting on today. Good morning, Ben. Don't hey, ben. let don't let Danny lie to you. He has this stupid idea that he likes snow. He's so full of it. <laughs> I mean, this is another thing that Danny and I probably agree on, and it's like to the detriment of everyone else. But I am kind of a cold weather guy as well. I know yeah. you know we need some of those people to balance out the housing market and stuff. But uh, I, I like the take from Dan- <laughs> Danny, and I think you know both of us being on board of the same thing is like uh, uh, probably a, a cause for concern for everyone else. So. so. Uh, I've got to let you know a story where you were both 
I, I think you're both going to be proud of Danny, but then also disappointed. So Danny sent out a tweet and tagged just about every sports book in Nevada asking if they would put up a prop bet for how Caitlin Clark would break the NCAA scoring record, whether it would be a free throw, three-pointer, two-pointer. And one of them, Stations Casinos here, saw the tweet and put it up. They got Danny got a bet put in a sports book, and that I imagine is the highlight of any degenerate's life. But then Danny also <laughs> lost his own bet. He created the oh, bet and one. then lost his own bet. <laughs> now I got to know what Danny bet. Basically, is the question, right? So, yeah. So the I, the method of basket was three pointer, two pointer, or free throw. I took two pointer, and I know that's. It's hindsight, obviously, it's stupid with the way that she started the game five threes in the first quarter and broke the record with almost a half-court jump shot, which is ridiculous. But I decided to go for the two-pointer because it was plus money. Yeah, that is, that is I didn't actually see those odds. Now I feel like my gen soul missed out a little bit on that, for sure, not even understanding what the odds would have been or anything. But, no, I do. I think it's an interesting – it is an interesting idea for a better. I also think that – an interesting question is how – I keep getting asked this question about, like, how quickly is Caitlin Clark going to kind of, like, transform or take over the WNBA. And I think it is, you know, an, an interesting exercise of uh, just how quickly she could potentially kind of be dominant in that league. I think one of the interesting parts about it, though, is we've seen, you know, Kelsey Plum. She's here with the Aces. It took her a few, yeah. few years before she was an all-star level player. We might be able to blame Bill right. Beer because he hated three-pointers when she was here. Um, but we also see Sabrina Ionescu, her first year, she had some good performances, but it wasn't like she was the best player in the WNBA. All anecdotal, I've got no evidence behind this. I feel like the dominant college post players are the ones that are much better right away in the WNBA than the guards. Yeah, definitely. I think that's what I've, the, the take I've heard as well, obviously, like the thin aspect and everything else, and needing to put on weight. Maybe Steph Curry wasn't as generational as he was, you know, up from a rookie either in a lot of ways. So, yeah, I think the Kelsey Plum comparison and Sabrina and this could definitely carry some weight, I would say, for sure. So, that's in some ways the direction I'm going, obviously, still will very much be up there. I'm kind of excited for the page look coming in a couple of years. I do think, you know, the WNBA in general are going to have a, a lot of young, intriguing you know, stars capable of kind of carrying the torch here pretty soon, which I think is really interesting. But yeah, the fact that going up against, you know, older developed women that have been in the league for a number of years, like there's just not a ton of turnover, you know, as well. There's only like 144 players on the roster, and a lot of those are, you know, the Diana Terrellis that have hung on for so long. So I think it is harder in some ways to break in and be dominant right here, and I do kind of think that that, that particular line of thinking is definitely going to be correct like for Caitlin Clark as well. By the way, I'm going to try and get another Caitlin oh, Clark Jesus. prop put up oh, because Jesus. she's only 150 points shy of uh, Pete Maravich's total points. So she's going to be breaking that before the end of the regular season, too. Yeah. You want to lose more money? Yeah, that's next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ben, uh, looking back at the Super Bowl, what'd you win? I mean, yeah, I definitely think, um, you know, almost everything in a lot of ways broke, right? It, it obviously depended on where you got under – under the game total, basically, but like the first half total was definitely where we wanted it to be. You know, Chiefs in a, in a lot of ways, basically up in the second half worked out well. Um, as well, I had Debo Samuel under longest reception, 21 and a half yards, which didn't necessarily feel dead in the first half, but the fact that I think he had like six targets in the first half and I think 11 for the game and only had three receptions was, 
in some ways just like a, a run good situation, but a lot of it was, you know, underneath out of like two targets, I think, um, would have gotten him close to that from an ADOT perspective. So that worked out well. Um, the Rasheed Rice love obviously didn't, uh, didn't come into fruition, but I think for in a lot, for a lot of intensive purposes, like, I did think the 49ers defensively were overvalued. Obviously, the Dre Green line injury impacted that, but they just weren't the same unit that they were pre-Hufanga injury in Week 11. And I think in a lot of ways, that was kind of the entire incorrect read on the Super Bowl was the fact that you know when it, when it comes down to it, I just didn't see the 49ers defense capable of getting stops against Patrick Mahomes. And, then, you know, in a lot of ways, uh, that was very much kind of the difference in the game. So I, I think overall, like, the handicap and everything broke correctly. And, and it was nice to kind of see, you know, the 49ers, and for all intents and purposes, not actually get to where a lot of people projected them to be at the end of the season. Boy, you did a lot better than these two guys I'm staring oh, at. It was not good. Oh, my God. <laughs> not good, Ben. Not, was not I want to hear Danny. I, I got to hear Danny and Tyler's bets here a little bit. I, I was hoping was they'd be good. at least on the Chiefs or something. But. I uh, Well, I did think the Chiefs were going to win. I was expecting both teams to run the ball more effectively yeah. over the course of the game and in the first half. And so the majority of bets I lost were things like Chiefs or Niners to score a first half rushing touchdown. Neither one of them did that. Like it was a lot of running props that it did not hit at all for me. It was not good. Yeah, that is tough. I mean, that that thing is like the the Chiefs really, for, for all intents and purposes, kind of didn't didn't attack the edges in the way in which a lot of people projected that. You know, the Four ers obviously being really soft there, but you know, they in some ways didn't have to. I think the game in general just kind of, especially starting off, was kind of like the slow slugfest sort of thing uh, that at least I project to be. It didn't really lead to a lot of running in the second half, unfortunately. Um, I did. I was happy because I did win a scoreless quarter, which was the first. And then uh, I bet the total would fall between 43 and 49 and only got there because of overtime. So thank you for overtime. (laughs) Yeah, I would say, yeah, the the game in general, I mean, the swings that it had, obviously, like you said, the first quarter, not not having any score, then still getting into overtime. Like the first half, I think people forget pre-Usher, you know, how bad it was, I would say, for the love. But thankfully the second half, Usher just brought the mojo and basically uh, completely changed the game around. So I think he was probably the real MVP from my perspective. But who knows? I'm saying that as a millennial, too. You say say pre-Usher like we're going to have before Christ and after death. It's going to be pre-Usher, P-U, and after rollerblades or something like that. Yeah. After yeah hit and basically changed everything <laughs> on the that game. So. Ben, I asked this earlier in the week uh, to some people. Do you think Shanahan deserves the grief he's getting? Um, I think I, I think the thing with Shanahan for me at this point is like there's he's obviously great, and I think from a play calling perspective, like there are few if anybody as good as him. You know, obviously. It, it, the way in which he designs a run game as well is like it's second to none. But like there have been some things, you know, forced on decision making, some timeout things that have kind of consistently plagued him. And I think you know the, the the fallout from you know whether he should have taken the ball at the at start of overtime or not. Like I think that kind of plays into it. Like there seems to be a, a lack of wanting to dig deep into some of these decisions and really kind of understand from a probability standpoint. What what his particular team is best at, and I think overall, like that's probably the grief that he is getting, and honestly, rightfully deserves. Because I do think like the league is going to continue to evolve, and I think in the spots where he has been weakest, 
we haven't seen a ton of, I would say, movement or, or, or production or, or, or directional correctness, I would say, in moving forward. So I think, you know, in the offseason, like, that's something he very much needs to focus on because I do think, you know, in general, the 49ers, like, their edges are going to get smaller and it does seem like their Super Bowl window could be closing quicker, you know, sooner rather than later in a lot of areas. And I think that, you know, maximizing his outcomes when he does still have those chances has very much has been his downfall and something that I think, you know, he very much does need to improve upon if he wants to put his team in the best position to actually maximize once they do kind of arrive on that stage again. If you were setting the number, what would you put the over-under on for Super Bowl's Mahomes wins by the end of his career? That is a good question. I honestly, I do think he's going to go over Brady now. I have heard, you know, I, I was listening to a few podcasts this week. Uh, you know, like how many how many different winners of the Super Bowl do we have in the next five years? And I, I think it's, you know, fairly, I would say fairly confidently that I would probably want to bet on Mahomes winning at least two, if not three of those next five Super Bowls. I just don't see a challenger outside of like, you know, a rookie contract type situation breaking really correctly or an injury type situation. So if you're banking on that, uh, I just don't quite see it. Because to me, like they, this was kind of in some ways like the, the, the worst version that we were going to get from the Chiefs and they still got there and they, we still thought they had a ton of challengers. And obviously the Bengals, you know, with Joe Burrow getting hurt, like didn't live up to the hype. But I think for all intents and purposes, the rest of the teams were at least as quality as we thought they were. So I do think like their Super Bowl window is kind of wide open. And I do think that they can do what, you know, be kind of this like team of destiny and potentially overtake what Tom Brady had done. So if we put it at seven and a half total rings, you'd go over? I mean, it depends on the odds, obviously. I think like just my inclination <laughs> would be in that direction. Obviously, there's like some some pricing discovery that would need to happen, but I think when the dust kind of settles, like, yeah, I would definitely be on the over seven and a half uh, based on the price and everything else. If the, if the market kind of found, uh, you know, an equilibrium at seven and a half based on a current price, I would say, yeah, I'd take the over. Well, he is Ben Brown, a uh, big Patrick Mahomes <laughs> fan now. Uh, ben, as always, <laughs> have to we be. appreciate it. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, guys. Yeah, we'll talk to you soon. So, Ben Brown from Pinnacle Sports on the Super Bowl. Went over on seven and a half. Got him going to eight. Yeah. That is a good question. Next five years, how many different Super Bowl winners are there? Two or three? I mean, if you think it's only two, then you think the Chiefs are winning three right. Super Bowl. I guess you could think the Chiefs win two and somebody right. else Someone wins. Someone else wins two. Yeah. I'm going to go wild and say four out of the next five are different people. <sighs> yeah. I mean, I think that's probably right. That would mean the Chiefs win two still, and right. everybody else is different from there on out. I think that's probably what the number should be. And they'll say the Chiefs only win one of those oh, five. See, that's oh. fun. I mean, somebody else wins two. Yep. On Mahomes' watch. Can't let that happen. Do the Raiders are getting two? Oh. <laughs> they might <laughs> not even get two playoff appearances. It's going to be on. great when Dak wins those two. It sure would. <laughs> Coming up next, apparently Clark County commissioners don't really like F1. Follow the guys on Twitter, at Ed Graney and at Bischoff underscore Tyler. So here's a fun story from the Review Journal. Clark County commissioners, I guess they want to clarify their role with F1. Uh, Tick Segerblom, who was one of the commissioners, he told the RJ, it turns out that we never signed a contract. That was all with the LVCVA. So everybody keeps saying that we've got three years. We never committed to three years, to my knowledge. 
the hell does that mean? This is great. <laughs> Kicker. What does that mean? Kicker coming with some strong comments. What does that mean? We never signed. So LVCVA just can sign anything and do whatever they want, and they don't need approval from any government body? If what Tick is saying is true. <laughs> did, did he sign one and forget about uh, it? Well, no, because he mentioned multiple times in a story that yes. he didn't sign any contract. What's going on here? The he, LBCVA apparently gave F1 $6.5 million, gave them the the rights to use the strip, right? The strip was shut down right. for F1. And we got a Clark County commissioner saying, well, we never signed off on that. And by the way, we're like four or five months since F1 was here. <laughs> He j- like he just figured this out. What I I'm very confused here. I think he just means that they didn't. Because uh, I was reading the the article by Mick Akers, and I think he just means like they didn't sign a contract guaranteeing an annual race, and that they can back out at any moment if they don't want to do it. Okay. Because also in that article. Uh, they talk about the construction cost and how F1 was like, hey, I know we agreed to $80 million, but we want the city to put in for $40 right. million. And uh, Siegerblum said, well, they've already paid. It's up to us if we want to reimburse $40 yeah. million. And as of right now, I don't think we will. Right. right. I just wh- – what happened here? Well, the LVCBA had some power. <laughs> Right? I guess. I mean, so Tick, his other quote was, I think it's one of those things where the tail is wagging the dog and we're the dog, so let's stop tail wagging and take (laughs) over. (laughs) So if the LVCVA is the ones that that basically made all this happen and the Clark County commissioners are like, wait a minute, what? Can the Clark County commissioners even stop it if they want to? If it's all signed up and delivered? Like, we had a race. Right. And the we got Clark County commissioners saying, "Wait a minute, we didn't sign off on this. Can they? Do they even have the power to I stop it? They apparently, they apparently didn't have the power right. to put it in to place. Put it in place. Which one's higher? I assume the Clark County commissioners. That's what I are. thought. <laughs> I don't know. Um, the other entirely hilarious part of this, you guys remember the story from a couple months ago? The Clark County commissioners, well, all but two of them." accepted sweet tickets to F1 worth nearly $11,000. Now, Michael Naft and Marilyn Kirkpatrick, they are Clark County commissioners that did not take the sweet tickets, but Tick Sagerblum did. (laughs) So did William McCurdy, Jim Gibson, Justin Jones, and Ross Miller, and then told the RJ, well, we had to accept them. It's educational purposes. They said it would be irresponsible. To not accept the eleven thousand, so they could learn suit. about it, and so learn they could about learn. the future and what it's going to take to host these races. And listen, maybe they were right because they had no idea it was even coming in the first place. <laughs> maybe Sigurdsson didn't learn as much as he thought he was going to, and now he doesn't want to do it anymore. What is going on with the Clark County commissioners? I don't know, but it's it's pretty funny. Are they in charge? That's, I guess, my my number one question. Doesn't look like. Are it. they in charge? They got eleven thousand dollars worth of tickets. What are they in charge of? Because the answer might be nothing, apparently. I don't know if LVCVA is going around signing papers. <laughs> <laughs> well, what was the what was the agreement for? I thought it was ten years in races. Well, and that's what's confusing is there's like there's like an option for ten years. Yeah. Right? So right. from what I understand, it was a ten year contract 
but in that 10 years, they have to race a certain amount of times. It's not every year for 10 years. It so probably will be, but they don't right. have to. I yeah, guess. they and, they want to make it annual, but as yeah. of right now, it's not guaranteed annual. There's and here's uh, and here's where it's up to Tick. Well, and that's the thing where Tick is confused, or either Tick is confused or he's confused me. I don't really know because in there he's like everybody's talking about three years. We haven't agreed to that. Okay, so he doesn't even think there's three years coming, let alone ten. But again, I don't know if he's got any power. <laughs> I don't know if he's just running. Like, we haven't agreed to it. And they're gonna be like, we don't care. We don't need your. We got the LVCBA. And yeah, and I think that's like in those ten years, the certain amount of races. I think they were gonna do three consecutive, and then after that, it's like every other year or something like that. I assume they'll be here every year. I for if F one has it, they this was their most watched race right. of the year and stuff like that. So I assume F one's gonna want to be here. As Every much year. as they can, and I guess it depends on who gets the say and whether or not they're here <laughs> as to whether it happens. They already have the schedule out for this year's race. Yeah, they're coming. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> Tick can get more I, tickets. I don't know if Tick knows that. It's a 10 p.m. race, Tick, they, if you're listening. They put the schedule out. Um, so, yeah, the Clark County commissioners, or at least one of them, confused or I'm confused. I don't really know. It's a very confusing situation, but I assume F1's going to be here and probably going to be here every year for the next decade. Tick back in the suite? Oh, of course. Why wouldn't you More be? education? Yeah, with gotta the, learn. With these words, F1 might be like, uh, you threatened to possibly end <laughs> yeah. our contract. If I remember, he was critical of it before the race got here, too, and they still gave him the ticket. So they might be like, yeah, come on, Tick, we got to teach you some more. We'll have, a, <laughs> we'll have a professor in there and everything. It'll be very educational. <laughs>